Hello and welcome, agents and new listeners. If you wish to stay up to date with the latest episodes or any news you might have missed, please follow us on our Twitter and Instagram or join our Facebook page. If you'd like to join in or start some discussions with other agents, we have a Discord server available to everyone. We also have our episodes up on YouTube, so please consider subscribing and share with your friends. Thank you for your time. Now let's get into this week's case file. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Files Obscura. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is a very, very late episode. Today I am joined with Vlad. How you doing, Vlad? Hey, I'm doing all right. It uh, feels like it's been a while, but, you know. It has been a while. Yeah. Um, been busy. You know, we've got a bunch of other stuff going on in the company, so, you know, we've been busy, plus our personal lives, you know, has been keeping us pretty occupied. But, you know, we're back to recording, and I'm happy. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, uh, this is a very late hour for us. It's, what, it's already past midnight. It's 12.07 as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not used to recording this late with you. Yeah. Um, I've recorded kind of... this late for... What's up? Uh, I was just going to say, it's kind of late for me, too. I, I got work at 8, so... <laughs> but you know what? I, <laughs> I've okay. slept... Uh, with uh, less time, so it's. Uh, I, I think I'll be fine. All right. Well, today I decided to keep it light, anyways. Um, I've been saving this uh, particular script for a good minute, but uh, I always thought it'd be fun to like look into like more military stuff. But you know, like military spies and drones and all that, like that technology, it, like it's fun and interesting and and whatnot. But I wanted to look at military defectors today. I thought that might be interesting because there's. So many stories to, to choose from, not only just, you know, in our military, but in so many militaries elsewhere. But we're going to keep it simple. We got two today, and they, they're they interesting, I'm not going to lie. These are two people I've never heard of before, but their stories as I was reading was fascinating. So, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Awesome. Well, as always, we start with two truths and a lie. So, I got myself set up with two truths and a lie. Are you ready to get started today? I'm always ready. <laughs> awesome. So, statement number one. Wasif Ali Hassan would desert his base and flee to Lebanon where he would uh, try to be with his wife. Uh, this was during Operation Iraqi Freedom, and he was an interpreter. Uh, but he hated the conditions that were going on with him. Okay. Uh, I kind of believe this one. I mean, I have no reason to not believe it. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. So, statement number two. Wasaf would eventually take his own life in a Lebanese jail cell while waiting extradition because of his desertion from his base. He would be awaiting uh, trials and pretrials for almost eight years in Lebanon until he was cleared because of an issue with his passport. But knowing what would happen, he decided, you know, that was going to be it. Sounds like uh, something that could absolutely happen to a person. Uh, if, if well, yeah, he was the... facing, you know, life imprisonment, and yeah. he would never see his family again, so. Yeah, so I get it, you know, very possible. Statement number three, a guy named Eddie Slavik, uh, who he would serve during World War II, and he would be the only World War II death sentence from a court-martial that was actually carried out. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, so... so a little bit more story. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. I'm going to give you a little bit more context. <laughs> so during World War II, there was quite a bit of uh, 
a sizable number of court martials. Let me say, um, one third of all the criminal cases tried in the U.S. were court martials. Uh, one point seven million of them, just to let you understand, and this was the only one that was a death sentence that was carried out. Jeez. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the first one again? The first one was Wasif would desert his base uh, during Iraqi freedom and flee to uh, be with Le- uh, to be in Lebanon with his wife. But eventually, you know, he'd, he'd be uh, found there and he would await extradition orders, which would lead to statement number two, which would be that he was there for like eight years. And then he decided to kill himself because he knew that once he got to America, he would never see his family again. I'm going to go ahead and say number one is the lie and i i have no evidence but i have no no like i feel like my reasoning is that you changed something about that story like i think you're right about him i mean i think you're right about him killing himself um but i also feel like there's something else i I don't know that's that's what i'm going with yeah I, i think i think it's just different okay i'm gonna lock you in Go ahead. All right. You think statement number one is the lie. All right. Well, let's get into it. So like I said, this this individual, Wasif Ali Hassan, uh, was a Lebanese-born U.S. Marine corporal who deserted not once but twice. Active through 2002 through 2005 and served in uh, the Iraq War, Operation Iraqi Freedom, he he was 23 years old whenever the war started in uh, 2003. His side job from a Marine was an, was, uh, an interpreter. Uh, Hassan had been complaining about his extended deployment and had been refusing to do certain duties. Especially, he, would, he wouldn't interpret negotiations that included speaking of Islam. He just wanted to be with his wife in Lebanon, who, oddly enough, uh, uh, he wed in an arranged marriage. His wife was one of his cousins. Wow. Uh, personal you, but it happened. Uh, he had told his fellow Marines, I'll leave and go to Lebanon. I'm not kidding. And on June 21st of that year, had disappeared from base seemingly without a trace. Prosecutors at court had said that he burned some possessions, had asked to hide and uh, at an Iraqi interpreter's house, packed some civilian clothes, dressed up in other civilian clothing, and then out and left through a remote unmanned exit gate. On June 27th of 2004, the Arabic news channel Al Jazeera broadcasted a video of uh, Hassan blindfolded with a man holding a sword over his head. The terrorist organization was Jaish Ansar al-Sunnah. And on July 3rd, I think I got that right, honestly. And if I did, I got it right on my first try. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was proud of that. Uh, and on July 3rd, they stated that they had beheaded Hassan. And they even had a website stating this. Then the next day, they denied that it happened. And on the 6th, uh, Al Jazeera read a message that Hassan had been taken to a safe location. um, after he had promised to desert from the Marines. The Marine Corps investigators had grown suspicious since the video, especially when he he showed up uh, at the embassy in Beirut, Lebanon, completely fine. Hmm. Hassan was promptly taken to the U.S. for investigation. He was charged with desertion, which he himself 
publicly denied larceny and wrongful dis- disposition of, a mil- of military property. His service, uh, his service issued an M9 pistol disappeared with him and was never returned. On um, December 9th, 2004, he would be faced with a with a dishonorable discharge. He would have to pay for all the fees and between five to ten years of imprisonment for each charge. As Hassan was waiting for a court hearing, he was granted a Christmas holiday, leaving uh, Christmas holiday leave to visit his parents and brothers in Utah. It was then when he deserted again. He was labeled a deserter on January fourth, two thousand five. He had gone back to Lebanon through Canada on his leave, though it would become a far longer trip than he wished for. Within the first 24 hours of being in Lebanon, he was called to questioning by Lebanese security officers responding to a U.S. extradition request. The official seized his passport, and he received a travel restriction. He was stuck for eight years being tried in courts and could not go to the U.S. due to being restricted and having no passport. After his travel restrictions were lifted, it is unclear whether he turned himself in willingly or the U.S. investigators found him whenever he was applying for U.S. visas for his wife and two kids. Finally, in 2014, Hassan had reported to have turned himself in uh, for the two charges of desertion. Only on February 23, 2015, he was found guilty of the two desertions and loss of his service pistol. His sentence amounted to two years and five days after getting credit for spending eight months in pretrial confinement. He had his rank reduced to private, lost his pay, and received a his dis- dishonorable discharge, which happened in 2016. So, uh, I guess the second <laughs> the second one was definitely the lie. Yes. Guess, yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. My, he did not kill al- himself. Yeah. My head always goes to like, oh, this is gonna be really messed up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. You got me. You got me. That was that was very tame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very tame. I had to. I had to. I'm gonna be honest. I was tired. Yeah. And I think it showed. <laughs> it's like holy crap! This guy. This guy totally killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> right no, i'm like i was ready i was like wow this is gonna happen i'm gonna have to i know you're you were waiting for the twist you were waiting for it to come around the corner it's like oh no the guy got two years in jail like <laughs> <laughs> which by the way like what the hell after yeah. all of that only two years in jail that's kind of surprising that's very surprising <laughs> right that's what i thought but unlike you know that lie that i told how uh wasif did not kill himself eddie slavic would die Oh, over the course of World War II, one third of all criminal cases tried in the U.S. were court martials, 1.7 million of them. Most of the cases were minor, as they were sent as were their sentences. But a clemency board appointed by the Security of War in 1945 took hold of all general court martials, where the accused was still in confinement and either increased or reduced the sentence in the 27,000 serious cases that were reviewed. Over 21,000 Americans were given varying sentences for uh, f- sentences for desertion, including 49 death sentences. But what make but what makes Eddie special is that his death sentence was the only one that was carried out. Edward Donald Slavic, aka Eddie Slavic, born on February eighteenth, nineteen twenty, in Detroit, Michigan, U in the United States. He was born to a Catholic Polish American family and was a frequent troublemaker as a minor, and was in contact with the police more frequently than most would like. <laughs> 
his first arrest was only at the ripe old age of 12 years old when he and his friends broke into a foundry to steal brass. In a five-year span, he had been arrested several times for petty theft, breaking and entering, and disturbing the peace, and oh, so much more. In 1937, he was sent to prison. You're fine. He was sent to prison, but was paroled in September 1938. After stealing and crashing a car with two of his friends while drunk, he was sent back only half a year later after his release in 1939. Funny, the Wikipedia page says says early life and education, but where's the education? Sorry, that was a note from the... uh, that was a note from the researcher, and he just left that in there. <laughs> that was great. That's because really he's right. Like, where's the education? Like, just fumble after fumble. <laughs> no, this guy's uh, guy uh, interesting. He's off to a great start. Absolutely. And I'm gonna preface this for everyone. I have stopped reading a lot of these since I have uh, assigned most of the research to the researchers. I only write every once in a while one of these, so I did not write this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was paroled again in April 1942 and finally got a job at Montella Plumbing and Heating in Dearborn, Michigan. He found his wife, who worked there as a bookkeeper, and they got married in November of the same year and lived with her parents. But shortly after their marriage, he was drafted into World War II. See, he couldn't be drafted earlier because of his criminal record. He was classified as morally unfit, which is a 4F description. But after their wedding anniversary, decided to reclassify him as fit for duty, a 1A, and and just yoinked him away. I guess the military was just like, all right, you had your fun. Now get your ass to France. It's like this guy got this guy got married. He's been married for a while. You know what? I love the editor's notes because he slightly bolds them, but it's not enough for me to tell the difference right now. I skipped over one that says how how nice of them I know. <laughs> I think it's so funny that this guy was like, oh yeah, no, he's too dangerous to to be in the military. Right, but he got married, so he's fine. <laughs> Right? No, it totally fit. Totally fit. See, he found love. Only only fit people can find love. I know. Just Anyways. Tell that to Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, right. Um, go ahead. No, you're fine. I mean, that was around the same time, so. Hmm. Or at least shortly after, shortly before. Anyways. He went through basic training uh, at Camp Walters in Texas at the start of 1944, and in August, he was sent to join the uh, join the fight in German-occupied France. He was one of the 12 replacements assigned to Company G of the 109th Infantry Regiment, 28th Infantry Division. While on the way to his assigned unit, Eddie and his friends from basic training, uh, Eddie and his friend from basic training, John Tankey, hunkered down during a shelled uh, during a shelling and got separated from the replacement detachment. While he was quivering in his little foxhole, he had realized that he didn't have what it takes and hauled ass with John to uh, the very next morning. They had found a Canadian military police unit and tagged along with them for the next six weeks. John wrote to their regiment to explain their absence before he and Eddie reported to their unit for duty on October 7th. The U.S. had been advancing so fast through France in the early fall of 1944 that many replacement soldiers had trouble getting to their assigned units, so they weren't charged with anything. 
Imagine rolling through the enemy so fast that your replacements can't even get to you in time before you're already at the next fight. Just just turning up at your designation rally point and wondering like, hey, where the fuck are they when they've already shot through four miles of French countryside? Oh my god. Peter, you crack me up. <laughs> I gotta read some of these. Notes. I love this. Oh yeah, no, it's great, dude. You have to. I'll send it to you later. Though they had finally found their unit, Eddie was not having any of it. The next day on October 9th, Eddie simply marched to the rear. John tried to persuade him to stay, but he had made up his mind. Eddie walked miles to get out, get to the maintenance units and handed a note to the enlisted cook. Uh, to an enlisted cook at at uh, fuck to an enlisted cook at a headquarters detachment i private eddie d slavic 36896415 confessed to the desertion of the united states army at the time of my desertion where we were in albuf in france i came to albuf as a replacement they were shelling the town and we were told to dig in for the night the following morning they were shelling us again i was so scared nervous and trembling that at the time the other replacements moved out, I couldn't move. I stayed there in my foxhole till I till it was quiet and I was able to move. I then walked into town, not seeing any of our troops, so I stayed overnight at a French hospital. The next morning, I turned myself over to the Canadian uh, Provost Corp. After being with them six weeks, I turned my I turned over to American MP. They turned me loose. I told my commanding officer my story. I said that if I had to go out there again, I'd run away. He said there was nothing he could do for me, so I ran away again. And I'll run away again if I have to go out there. Signed, Private Eddie D. Slavic. Hmm. And that's it. That's it. That's it. That there's no more notes. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, we can. I can only speculate from here because I don't feel like digging f- deeper. I imagine you know Peter does a good job of digging through through information, so I imagine there wasn't a lot of information to dig up after this. So I think it was pretty straightforward. What's this guy's name again? Eddie Donald Slovic. Maybe we can dig around. On yeah, his, yeah. Go ahead. Wikipedia go ahead. There's time, see, man. See what I find. Okay, okay, I found some more information. Hey, guess oh, what? Cool, cool, so perfect. I'm reading here, and this is the first time we're doing this on the fly. Um, although Slovic was uh, invited to tear up the confession, he refused. Unlike the 40,000 other cases of absence without leave or desertion uh, in the U.S. military during the war, he made no attempt to conceal or even excuse his behavior. He even went on to endorse the statements, quoting, I have been told that this statement can be held against me and I have made it of my own free will and that I do not have to make it. On November 11, 1944, Slovic, charged with desertion, appeared before a nine-man general court-martial. There was very little to consider because Slovic was openly admitting the offense. At the time, the 28th Division was engaged in the, in the bloody battle for the Hurtgen Forest. The unanimous decision was that the offense called for the death penalty. 
The case went before Major General Norman D. Coda, commander of the 28th Division, to review the sentence of the court-martial. Quote, Given the situation as I knew it in November 1944, I thought it was my duty to this country to approve that sentence. If I hadn't approved it, if I had let Slovak accomplish his purpose, I don't know how I could have gone up to the line and looked at a good soldier in the face. I just want to let everyone know I'm quoting WorldWar2Today.com. The case went all the way up to Eisenhower, who reviewed the case on the 23rd of December at the height of the Battle of the Bulge. Slovak's appeal for clemency was denied. He had apparently been offered the chance to go back to a rifle company, the position he was trained for. Slovak implicitly refused to do this, although he claimed he wanted to be a good soldier. Eisenhower confirmed the sentence of death. Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah, just so blunt. <laughs> there was still one more review of the legality of the decision by the Assistant Judge Advocate General for the European Theater of Operations. Quote, this soldier has performed no frontline duty. He did not intend to. He deserted from his group of 15 when about to join the infantry company which he had been assigned. His subsequent conduct shows a deliberate plan to secure trial and incarceration in a safe place. The sentence uh, adjudged was more severe than he had anticipated, but the imposition of a less severe sentence would have only accomplished the accused uh, purpose of securing his incarceration and consequent freedom from the dangers which so many of our armed forces are required to face daily. His unfavorable civilian record indicates that he is not a worthy subject of clemency. Unquote. And so, Eddie Dislovic was sent back to the 28th Division for execution. Triblive has an account of the execution on the 31st of January, 1945, by Nick Gozik, who had been ordered to attend as a military witness. He states that Slovak had been reconciled to his sentence of death by this time. Quote, I've seen a lot of people in the service who didn't want to die, but he knew he was going to die. He knew what to expect, and he was going to abide by it. He had paid the price of several thousand people deserting during the war. Gozik said, Believe me when I tell you, to, uh, to me... He was the bravest soldier I ever the bravest soldier I ever met. Unquote. He recalls that he heard the Catholic priest say mass with Slovak immediately before the firing squad were given the their orders. And then the final exchange between Slovak and the priest. Quote, Eddie, the priest said, When you get up there, say a prayer for me. Eddie said he would. Unquote. Others reported that his last words were, quote, Don't worry about me. I'm okay. They're not shooting me for deserting the United States Army. Thousands of guys have done that. They're shooting me for bread I stole when I was 12 years old, unquote. Yeah. Although the firing squad consisted of 12 hand-picked marksmen, 11 of whom had live bullets, the volley did not kill Slovak outright. The doctor who was supposed to certify death found him still breathing, Quote, I heard the doctor say, what's the matter with you guys? Can't you shoot straight? Unquote. 
Slovak then died as the firing squad reloaded for another volley. He is the only member of the U.S. military to be executed for desertion of the American since the American Civil War. And that's it. That's yeah. that's the end. This is like I said, up. thank you, courtesy of WorldWar2Today.com for the so, final uh, bit of information. I actually found some more information on uh, find oh, the really? Grave. Yeah, findthegrave.com, which didn't know it was a website that existed. Now we do. Um, anyways, apparently, um, after being executed, he was actually buried in France, which is kind of sad, uh, in the reserved section of the American, and I hope I'm saying this right, Ois Eisen uh, American Cemetery, uh, with 94 American soldiers executed for the crimes of rape and murder so you know that's kind of sad uh because he doesn't deserve to be there thankfully other people believe right. that other, other people believe the same thing um because in 1987 uh 42 years after his execution uh he was sent to michigan and he was buried next to his wife okay well at least he got relocated yeah oh, wow that's crazy yeah it's really sad too because man he really didn't i don't think he deserved this at all no like i don't think he deserved it in the end but like he made peace with it yeah you know which was interesting to me like even so far back like his last words were quoting the bread that he stole when he was 12 that's just crazy yeah it really is yeah i did not expect that whenever i picked the uh picked this subject today you know, it's definitely uh, wild out there. But, you know, there's all kinds of stories. And, you know, I know a few from uh, the Cold War, you know, that would be interesting to tell. But we can do a whole nother episode on that. I have a few uh, few in mind that I handpick, you know, so we might come back to visiting this. But I wanted to see what Peter could do whenever he was researching this and what he would find. And he found some interesting stories because, like, even going back to Wasif, it, you know, he just wanted to be with his wife, man. Like, he didn't want to be there. Yeah. He, he would constantly seem like he would complain about his duties and, and issues going on. And, like, I get it. Um, what I don't know, obviously, is if he, you know, signed up or if he, you know, was drafted. I don't think they had many drafts. I don't remember. Iraqi Freedom was a long time ago. But ultimately, it's just like. I get not wanting to be there. Not everyone's built for that, you know. And he was just an interpreter. That's right. I mean, he was a marine, and marines are riflemen first, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. But still, I think what does what they did to him was pretty severe in comparison, and, and having him be, be yeah, having him be buried to people who've done worse is you know it's almost disgraceful it's very disgraceful i don't know man it's just it's just wild yeah i'm, I'm totally glad I'm, I'm glad that we found that kind of story you know these are the kind of stories i've been wanting to find more of um yeah. it's just yeah, it's, it's crazy one. to make you think you know like he just wanted to to be safe and he died for it just wild and they didn't even like kill him on the first try it took a second try they shot him like they straight up had a firing squad that couldn't even kill him uh, uh they riddled him with bullets yeah that's really unfortunate that's just crazy 
you know, it's not always like I just, you know, get brought down with these kind of stories. But yeah, no, this was just, yeah, that was just depressing. You know. But yeah, they totally, uh, man, I got, I got to say, I'm very like, it's a very interesting topic. It really is. We, uh, oh, we, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I don't think we usually do this kind of like real life. Like, it, this isn't true crime. This isn't like ooh, spooky. Mystery, no, but it monster. is It is an interesting topic. And that's very, why I picked it. Yeah, it is very fascinating. You know, and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, like I said, I was lying whenever it came to, you know, Wasif killing himself. But I don't doubt that there's probably stories out there where people did wind up killing themselves for X, Y, or Z, you know? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Because, I mean, like, there's mil- there's military desertion stories from other militaries and stuff, too. Like, there's Russian desertion stories. There's North Korean desertion. Like, that's an easy topic to pick up. But did you know that there were two defectors that defected to North Korea? One of them was an American defector. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, they're, like, they're crazy stories out there. And, and you know... I know, like, they're worth, you know, discussing. Um, there were a few other names that were in the notes that did not have sections underneath them that um, I would love to get into. But, like, we can do that in another episode. Yeah. Yeah, of You course. know, it's just, it's yeah. just wild. You know, and I, I'm, I'm getting excited, I'm not going to lie, with what we are coming out with. Because we got four subjects already ready to go for recording. And, you know, reading into them, like one of them is super dense and like I'm thinking it might be a two parter. I have to really go through the notes, which luckily I'm off tomorrow to figure that out. Um, It might be enough for one long episode, which I would love to do. I love doing long episodes. I would love to do an early Um, episode. Yeah, no, without a doubt. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but of course it's pride month. So, um, I am going to announce that we have a, an episode covering, you know, something related and I'm excited for it. I can't wait. Um, you know, as you know, a bisexual man, it's, uh, it's in, it hits me a little personally, you know, as I'm learning more about, you know, LGBTQ history and stuff like that. Um, and especially since last year, I did not get to celebrate it due to the pandemic, I am trying to celebrate it now and I am just super happy. And for all my queer folks out there, how y'all doing? Um, uh, question. Are we but doing, honestly, uh, like what's up? Are we doing Stonewall? Are we? Uh, I don't know. I, I was asking cause I you know. said you had a topic lined up for, uh, for pride wall, for pride wall. Sorry. Um, pride wall. Uh, pride yes. Pride, pride wall. Pride. No, pride. absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. All right, all right, we'll find out. You know that is that is a big topic, but uh, we'll 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 see what's up because there's a uh, plenty of other stories out there. You know, there's quite a few gay serial killers too that we could cover. Mm. Of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I do just, that. I, I, yeah, yeah okay, no. Okay. I, was <laughs> I was trying to see for a second. I'm like, he's not buying it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. I was kind of. Mm, mm, I don't know if we should do that. Uh, but no, it, it is Stonewall. We are we are covering Stonewall. Um, I've only recently been able to dig into the to the history of it, just because I've been buried with other work. Um, but learning more about these stories and, and just it, it's just interesting to see the evolution uh, of you know civil rights and and uh, equal rights and stuff like that over the years 
um, when I, when we read these stories and as I pick them out for our researchers to, to dig into, it, it's long story short, it, it feels like I'm enjoying going to school as weird as that, as weird as that sounds. Oh, no, um, makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, no. Cause like, I love learning about all this. I love learning about all, uh, history and all the weird science that, uh, I want to dig into for future episodes and stuff like that. And then, like, conspiracy theories are just a whole enjoyable rabbit hole on their own. Um, cults are always a great topic, you know, X, Y, Z. Like, there's so much to get into, you know, and, and it's it's exciting, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I'm with, I, I'm, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, uh, anyways, I think we should leave some of this up for, uh, for w- once we get to it. And, uh, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, almost, like I said, we, we have, you know, other episodes to record that, you know, are already ready to go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I am picking out some other stories that I am, you know, am anticipating is going to be a lot of fun to get into, um, stuff that I've been wanting to learn more about that I've heard, you know, through the grapevines and through the researchers and, and, and like search related queries and stuff like that, you know, yeah. I'll make little notes of it and say, okay, we'll get back to that at some point. Cause that sounds interesting. Um, cause we are maybe hopefully possibly expecting new researchers to join the team. So that means we can expand what we can do. And that's, that's exciting. Um, but nothing's promised, but uh, we will see what happens. All but. right. <laughs> well, but I, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for next episode. And uh, yeah, this was an interesting yeah, no, topic. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and see you guys in another two weeks. Um, hopefully soon, like I said, if we do get these researchers, um, we could possibly go back to having weekly episodes. Um, I would love to do that sooner rather than later. But as we are working on other projects, it is just taking up a lot of our time. Um, I thank you guys for your patience. Um, It means a lot to us. I can't wait for us to go back to normal. Um, We will see you guys in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye.